You're listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. He's taking a sip mm. of the coffee, putting the mug up to his mouth. The took Bowery. The sip. It's called the Bowery. The what? The Bowery. Like Bowery? B-O-W-E-R-Y. What is the Bowery? The coffee you're drinking? Yeah. Oh. That that word means something, right? I'm most do. Yeah. (laughs) You think? There's a place in New York, I guess. Word meaning. Um, Okay. A colonial Dutch plantation or farm. Um, Also a street in New York, as we discussed. A city district known for cheap bars and derelicts. Well, that got more surprising as it went along. This, in contrast, is simply an extra dark roast. That's all I have to say. What a ride. It's always interesting to look at the origin of a word or to figure out what it means. It's semantic range, you know? Yes. For instance, I learned recently, poopery. That's an interesting way to have said that word. (laughs) Potpourri? I, I think you're probably correct, but I would say potpourri. It's a French word. I would take the Catholic bent. That's potpourri. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're probably correct. Potpourri. I don't know. Potpourri. Who, Who, can, say? Who can say? But the French? The French? Question mark? Well, my whole point at even bringing up this strange word that we use typically to designate stuff kind of thrown together. Pleasant though, right? Like a potpourri, you think of like a pleasant scent or mm-hmm. fragrance, mm-hmm. right? Well, the French origin of the word has to do with... Basically, it, it, it would translate more literally to putrid pot. Because <laughs> oh, it, it, that's amazing. It came out of this concept where people would just take a bunch of stuff and throw mm. it into a stew Ew. and eat it if they were without wow. other ingredients, I suppose. That's amazing. And somehow it came to us as, you know, oh, we're going to use this word to not mean to that. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, isn't that amazing? That's language. Isn't that interesting? Wow. Really throws you for your loop. It does. But I, I think it's time to move on. Oh. I think it's time to discuss a another classic of Christendom. Yeah. Trademark. Yes. Because I've made up that term. I alone. I alone hmm. have uttered that term. You alone can prevent forest fires. <laughs> <laughs> so classics of Christendom, huh? We're back in the saddle. That's, we are. And just so everyone's aware, I'm, I'm joking. I, that's not a, <laughs> there's no trademark. Don't, you can, I didn't make that up. You can no, say You it. don't technically owe us royalties. It's, no, you don't. Would it be cool if you did? <laughs> it would be I cool. Mean... <laughs> it would be cool, yes. Uh, uh, no, we're, yeah, we're here to, we're here to talk about another one. This is a book that is eminently practical and helpful, mm-hmm. which I feel like all these classics are that we've discussed so far, you would hope and that, that we they will attain I mean, you the status mean? Yeah. of classic. Yeah, but I feel like when you're reading, say, the Confessions, for instance, mm-hmm. you would have to, I think, work through it a little more to make it practically applicable. If oh, that makes sense. I was thinking that application. Yeah. Yeah. This book is no, not that. It is. It mm. is. It's it's ready for application. It's geared towards it's application. It's like a band aid. You just oh. put it on there. You know. Okay. Was that a interesting metaphor? It, it Probably. Was, it was interesting. But, <laughs> but I'm tr- I'm I'm still tracking with you. <laughs> what I find so extra interesting about that fact is that this is a book that was written in the 17th century, hmm. and I know what you're thinking. What was happening in the 17th century? <laughs> How could that be helpful to me? Was it horse and cart era? <laughs> 
Really? I really don't know. I have a poor concept of centuries. I mean, yeah, well, it was the 1600s, so, you know, yeah. Black Plague and um, yeah. gravity. I think gravity was being discovered in the 1600s. You're really not doing them many favors. <laughs> Just discovering gravity and in the throes of the Black Plague. What's bacteria? I don't know. Moist. <laughs> Oh, well, okay. yeah, so yeah, you're, you're thinking, yeah, this, how could this be a practical book yeah. you know, from the 1600s that could have any relevance to me Fair. as a person? Uh-huh. You know, who are you trying to fool? You tell well, me. I'm not trying to fool anybody. Okay, okay. <laughs> because I think after our brief discussion, you'll hopefully be inclined to agree. All right. The title of the book is Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. Written by a pastor theologian named Thomas Brooks, and I personally think it's magnificent. (laughs) I unironically love that title. Yeah, isn't that good? It it feels like it came straight from the mouth of like a traveling salesman in that horse John cart. (laughs) Like, I can picture Apothecaries it. for Satan's yes, devices. Yes, Apothecaries. Oh, man. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, what this book is, it's it's not a traveling salesman on a horse-drawn cart That's selling a really, apothecaries. Really. <laughs> I feel like those usually didn't work out so well. <laughs> no. No, they did not. <laughs> and it's actually just swamp water. <laughs> you know? It's like, it's probably just going to make things a bit worse. <laughs> oh, I had diarrhea. Now I have dysentery. <laughs> 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 this only made it worse. <laughs> no, uh, this is a book that is basically a super long exposition of 2 Corinthians 2.11, where hmm. Paul writes, lest Satan should get the advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now, that's an interesting verse by itself for several reasons. Yeah. But I think the thing to really take note of, which is exactly what Brooks does in this book, is that word devices. It's plural, right? It's hmm. It's plural. It it's, is. How can, what more can I say about it? his it's device? Just, it's plural. It's, it's not more singular. Than one. But we parse that word. It's it's a neuter and plural. What on earth? Sorry, I, I have to take Greek again. I'm in that right now, and you have to parse the words. Okay. You know, they're gender oh. neuter words. Anyway, in other words, what I'm getting at from this one word in this verse is that Satan is not a one trick pony when it comes to his attempts to outwit us. Mm, okay. So that's fair. Yeah. This is a big deal, especially because I think our tendency in the postmodern age is to think of Satan as a sort of ethereal figure and not really a figure even, mm. like not a not a person mm. or a spirit. I mean, a concept. Yeah, a concept. Exactly. Exactly. He's uh, the name we associate with a vague and general sense of badness and sin rather than the chief of the fallen angels who is using all his power and energy and cunning to try and overthrow humanity mm. and the church in particular. An entity with agency. Yes, an entity mm. with agency. That's a very, I think that's the philosopher. Maybe not be very... the smoothest way to say it, but <laughs> I'll take that vote of confidence. <laughs> well, because he is an entity with agency... <laughs> He has specific tactics, these specific devices, to use Paul's word, that he uses to get at us, which means that if we're going to take that seriously, we can't just fight him generically Hmm. any more than any army could fight any enemy generically. Hmm. And you got to think he's had thousands of years of practice at this point. So you take all that into account. He's really not a foe to be trifled with. He's a seasoned trifler. I'm sure the, I'm sure the philosophers would have loved that one as well. Oh, yes, yes, the Prince of Darkness, that season trifler he is. 
<laughs> oh, so if this book is addressing that, this multitude of devices, yes. what, I, what I am hoping is that this isn't just like some guy naming devices of the day. Oh, uh, yes. Um, <laughs> because, if, you know, because if it's meant to be applicable to, to us here and now, if it's a classic, I am hoping that like these are things taken from scripture. Yes. Or is that, I, am I hoping too much? No. I love to hear it. Yes, because Thomas Brooks was of the, he was of the Puritan theological camp, mm. which, you know, unfortunately our modern concept of Puritans is skewed. It is very skewed. And um, I think, I can't remember who it was, but the most famous description of the Puritans, it's, it's extremely inaccurate, but uh, <laughs> the one that has stuck in the modern imagination is this guy said, Puritanism is the great fear that somewhere someone is happy. <laughs> Right? And that's what we think of the Puritans. You know, we just think, oh, like, these are the folks that probably did the Salem witch trials or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, they were the ones who were out here saying, you know, you can't have any fun, you know, no doing that. We're going to be dour and somber all the time. Very stuffy. Yeah. And really, all you have to do is pick up a guy like Brooks or any of the Puritans who are writing in the 1600s and you read their book and you're like, oh, no, like, you Mm. would not. Like, if I handed you one of their books and didn't tell you that this is a Puritan, no one would know. Yeah. Like, it'd be like, oh, this is like very devotional, very practical Christian writing. Yeah. yeah, isn't that funny how it works when you go to the source of something <laughs> instead of, you know, just secondhand words, but, you know. Exactly. So, yeah, so Brooks, I mean, this book is, the amazing thing about it is it's just like scripture on top of scripture, mm. but it's not like he's breaking the flow of his writing to do that. He just kind of speaks Bible, if that makes sense. Like, I don't know how to describe That's it. Like, an impressive just, feat. His imagery is just he's biblical. En- he's engaged with the grammar of scripture. Yes. Yeah. That's a perfect way to put it. The grammar of scripture. Like John Bunyan, people said that if you uh, if you cut John Bunyan, he'd bleed Bible. And Thomas Brooks is another guy like that. Remarkable. But I like that term even better. Yeah. It just speaks the grammar of the Bible. I will shamelessly steal that one day. So yeah, what Brooks is going to do is he's going to walk you through tons of passages of scripture and draw out the different ways, devices, that Satan uses to tempt us, to try and thwart us, and to pull us away from Christ, but he doesn't just identify the devices, and he identifies a ton of them. I mean, I'm dozens and dozens and dozens. Wow. You know, we're getting into like the, yeah, well over 100. What? Close to 200. Yeah. It's just crazy the amount of devices he has. Oh, that's he has. wild. So he doesn't just identify them, though. He goes a step further, and as the title suggests, hmm. he offers potential remedies for those devices. So when you're reading through this book, it's really straightforward. It's a pretty easy read. But my counsel to you would be, as you're reading through it, it'd be really helpful to actually take notes Mm. as you're working through it so that you can begin to battle against the devices that you know Satan is most prone to use against you. Mm. Because that's something he even draws out in the book is that Satan will tailor his tactics to you as a person. Yeah, you know your own Achilles heel that's not exactly secret to you or him. Right, exactly. For example, let's just take one device that Brooks mentions in this book. He says that one of the devices that Satan uses is to, and I'm just going to quote him here, to present the bait and hide the hook. And remember, this is a 17th century writer here, so it's going to sound kind of weird. Satan's first device to draw the soul into sin is to present the bait and hide the hook, to present the golden cup and hide the poison, to present Present the sweet, the pleasure, and the profit that may flow in upon the soul by yielding to sin, and to hide from the soul the wrath and misery that will certainly follow the committing of sin. Wow. Yeah. That is loaded. It is. And um, doesn't it sound like someone in the pointy hat and the frock coat? You know what I mean? Oh, I definitely can. And he's like got that like oh. British affectation, you know? <laughs> I think that would, I mean, that would help us cause, I think. Um, <laughs> Yeah, as much as I would really love to comment on how 
maybe cheesy is the wrong word, but interesting. No, yeah, like especially to Christian, you know, like yeah. we grew up in the church, it's like, oh yeah, that's yeah. that's cheesy. And the funny thing now. is, I might have heard something like this in the '90s. Sure, yeah, like, it's funny how that didn't change. Um, but I have to give him credit because if you strip away the particular word choice or the numerous metaphors. Um, <laughs> He's still got a point. Like, I think right. anyone could identify this in their own lives. Yeah, yeah, because I read that and I think, wow, yeah, that's true. Satan does do that because there are definitely times when in a moment of temptation, all I'm thinking about is how great it will feel to indulge my anger, mm. for an instant, right? Like, just how good it will feel to get that off my chest because I just feel the yeah. blood thumping and my face reddening. and That's oh, supposed catharsis. Yeah, there will be this relief and just letting off some steam rather than thinking about how that untimely word or the tone that I use will affect the people I'm speaking to or who I'm saying that about or any of those things. And one of the four remedies that Brooks offers for this particular device is, and I'm just going to quote him again, solemnly to consider that sin will usher in the greatest and the saddest losses that can be upon our souls. It will usher in the loss of that divine favor, which is better than life, and the loss of that joy, which is unspeakable and full of glory, and the loss of that peace, which passes understanding, and the loss of those divine influences by which the soul has been refreshed quickened, raised, strengthened, and gladdened, and the loss of many outward desirable mercies, which otherwise the soul might have enjoyed. Mm. So in other words, he's with this one remedy to this one device, he's doing something very practical and encouraging us to step back in the moment of temptation and refrain for a moment from indulging it and reframe the moment. That's all he's trying to do is help us say reframe and reframe. Yeah. Just like ask yourself, how will it end if I indulge this temptation? Like how has it felt before when I've done this? Because chances exactly. are you've done this before exactly. and you felt terrible afterwards, yeah. right? Yeah. How do you think others would respond or feel if they knew what you were about to do? I find that very helpful counsel for battling against this particular device of Satan. Mm-hmm. Very practical, I think. And that's something that... I think we're tempted to overlook because we, again, we just think so generically about Satan. You know, we're just like, oh, yeah, he's a bad guy. We need to resist. But yeah. we don't go much further than that. What I think is interesting about this particular example, I think we're detached from thinking about Satan in these terms. Yeah. And I also think the entire remedy involves a lot of language that we're also out of touch with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like peace. That's, you know, like right. we say these things, but I think in daily life, I'm not thinking about them. Right. I think I'm generally out of touch with some of those things. Mm-hmm. And so on both sides of the spectrum, I think it is helpful to let that, you know, serve as a, as a reminder um, mm-hmm. and considering it. Because I think we can kind of strip away the spiritual affect of this whole situation and you're like oh I'm tempted to indulge in whatever and how how did I feel afterwards and it's like devoid of spirituality right I'm just like kind of handling memory of emotions yeah it's like well you know maybe it would help if I took it even more seriously You know, it's like, it's more than just like, well, I felt like a sack of crap. Right. How much further does that go? How much further do the consequences go? And right. how much does that affect, you know, me, my soul in the long run? How, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. How much does that chip away? I think that's pretty helpful. Yeah. I mean, even the fact that he opens that whole remedy with, and basically all of his remedies, but with the word solemnly, mm. like I even think that concept to be solemn is really lost among us most times. Yeah. Like, we don't really have a... A place for that. Like we think of, again, it's like solemn means dour or something. Like, well, no, no, no. Solemn doesn't have to mean dour. I think there's a sort of... We think solemn, we think funeral. Yeah, that's exactly what we think. You know, you're in the in the funeral home in front of the casket, mm-hmm. paying your respects, and that's solemn. Like, and that's a form right. of solemnity, but like solemn can have such a wide range. Yeah, I definitely A wedding agree. is solemn. You no. know what I mean? Oh, look at that. But that's one of the happiest experiences of someone's life. Yeah. It's very solemn. So anyway, all that I think comes together in this book. And 
this book is absolutely filled to the brim with this kind of stuff. I mean, 200 pages worth, as a matter of fact. This is coloring my expectations a little bit in, in a good way. 200 pages, and yet he has over 100 remedies. Well, so the other funny thing about this is it's an old Puritan book. So, mm-hmm. like, the font is small. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, 200 pages are different, you know, okay, compared to okay, what like, you're okay. not talking like a 200, like, oh, yeah, it's like one inch margins on every side right. and, you know. 12-point font or whatever. Gotcha. And I would actually have to tabulate all of the remedies because he's got... It would be close. It would be close. Yeah. I, I realize I said that kind of quickly and I haven't actually ever tabulated, but he's, it's it's a lot. Hmm. The thing is, is he doesn't just leave off with devices that lead us individually into sin. He breaks the devices down even further. And he talks about devices that Satan has for keeping us from religious duties, such as scripture reading and prayer and corporate worship and, hmm. and so on. He talks about his devices for keeping us depressed and doubting our salvation and his devices for specific classes of people. And he just gets about all of it. It's really remarkable how he can wring this dry. Yeah, that's very interesting. I'm I'm very interested like how on one hand we have what might feel a little more heavy hitting in terms of resisting temptation and sin, but I think I'm maybe even more interested in the in the subtleties of what what keeps us from like these, you know, as you said, like religious yeah. duties. I'm like, wow, okay. What am I not taking stock of? Like what am I yeah. missing there? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, he is an expert guide on this topic and there's a reason this has been considered classic of Christendom in this regard. Um, I almost like to think of it sometimes as the very old prequel to the screw tape letters. You all know that. That was the book that C.S. Lewis wrote. The concept was that this senior tempter devil screw tape is mentoring his nephew Wormwood and so he writes letters to him and so you're getting like an inside baseball into how (laughs) you know demonic temptation works and this is that kind of a thing just different and I I think a book like this is much needed for the church today because whether we want to acknowledge it or not I mean we are caught in the middle of a war between the rulers authorities and principalities in the heavenly places it's just what Ephesians 6 says and I find it strange isn't the right word but it's like entering a different world when you think about how often the apostles in particular talk about the heavenly beings. Really? Yeah, like Paul talking about our warfare not being against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, and principalities in the heavenly places, or in Colossians talking about how Christ disarmed the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places by the cross, or Peter talking about the people who, like ignorant beasts, blaspheme the glorious ones, mm. talking about angels, oh, yeah, like and saying they know not of what they speak, or Jude, you know, oh, famously yeah. talking about, you know, angels being trapped in chains of darkness, mm. um, Jude. Satan <laughs> arguing with Michael over the bones of Moses, casually, you know what I mean, all those things. But that's like the kind of stuff that's happening in the unseen realm around us all the time, mm. and we are caught in the middle of that. I think it was Charles Spurgeon who said, "You must consider how precious a soul is that both God and the devil." are at war for it. I might be paraphrasing that a little bit, but I think it was him who said that. So all that is to say, if we're in this war, if we're in the middle of this conflict, the old saying holds true that we need to know our enemy and know his tactics so that we can fight against him effectively. And in real life, I mean, this is true all over the place. I think allegedly General George Patton, who uh, he commanded one of the big American tank divisions in World War II, Mm -hmm. Germany was absolutely crushing people with their panzers. Yeah. Their tank warfare was... specialties. Yeah. And so George... Patton comes in with American tanks and Erwin Rommel, who was the field marshal who basically commanded the Panzers, mm-hmm. he had written a book after World War One about military tactics. Oh, okay. And allegedly George Patton read that book 
and then used what he found in that book to beat Rommel. Yeah. There's a scene in the movie Patton where he's doing that. And yeah, you don't know whether this is true or not, but the scene is kind of iconic where he's winning. He goes, I can't use the exact quote because Patton was a very vulgar man and he, he cursed a lot. But he's like, Rommel, you magnificent fool. I read your book. As he's like on top of this thing, like absolutely crushing oh, man. the foe here. And all this to say is that we as Christians need to do the same thing with our enemy. And mm. this book is a great place to start. It helps us understand the tactics of our enemy so that we can fight against him effectively and not just generically. Right. Because that's where you'll run into problems. Exactly. Yeah, right. It becomes a bit loose and uncertain. Yeah. And then foggy, you know, and Ex- you, can't, yeah, exactly. you can't fight. You can't do it. It's not very applicable that. that way. No, no, it's not. So, mm. yeah, it's a classic of Christendom for you. Precious remedies against Satan's devices. Mm. Find it wherever books are sold. <laughs> Find it at your local Gutenberg press. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, thank you as always for listening. I hope this proved helpful to you. Mm. And if you want to pick up this book, you can you can find it on Amazon. And, mm. you know, basically, uh, yeah, Amazon's going to be your best bet for that. Probably. So, yeah. So uh, if you did find this content helpful and you'd like to leave us an honest five-star review in the iTunes podcast area, you can do that. We would be appreciative. That would. would be a great remedy against Satan's devices. Yeah, um, downheartedness. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. Keep us from being discouraged. Yeah. No, if you want to do that, it'd be great. And if you have any questions on this or any other topic, feel free to email us at podcast at horizonschurch.net or interact with us on social media. Thank you as always for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.